Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant, because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise, and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression, that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant, and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears, because people do not keep your law. Those are verses 129 through 136 of Psalm 119, verses 121 to 144, of which are the psalm appointed for today, Wednesday, November the 16th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along. We are today looking at the prophecy of Malachi. We have skipped over from Habakkuk over to Malachi, and we're going to look at verse 1 of chapter 1, and then skip forward to verses 6 to 14. 1-1 gives you the the the, uh, setting for it and who who it's speaking of so and then the gospel is uh, Luke chapter 17 verses 11 to 19 and then in James chapter 3 verse 13 through chapter 4 verse 12 so the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel about Malachi now Malachi is the last prophet he is the last prophet of the Old Testament, and the canon of Scripture was closed, so he's after the return of the exiles to Jerusalem and, and all that, and so we're in the 400s at this time, and then there's a prophetic silence until the time of Christ. That doesn't mean that nothing happened <laughs> in Israel during that period of time. It just means that there was a prophetic silence until John the Baptist and until the angel, archangel actually appeared to his father in the temple in the holy place. And so there, suddenly the prophetic silence is broken with the coming of John the Baptist, who was the last of the Old Testament prophets, first of the New Testament prophets. So he said, Malachi says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. This is the Lord speaking. If I then am a father, where's my honor? And if I'm a master, where's my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food on the altar is the answer. But you say, how have we polluted you? The answer, by saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, isn't that evil? I mean, they they were supposed to be without blemish or spot. And a blind animal certainly is blemished. It was supposed to be the best. And that's exactly the the standards way back in um, Genesis 4 with Abel who bought the best of the first fruits of the flocks. And that was the standard that God used for his people. That was exactly what they were supposed to bring, the best of the first fruits of the flocks. And instead, what he's saying here is, you're accepting junk. And when you do that, you're teaching people to dishonor my name. You, you, you teach them that I'm not someone who really cares very much about the standards that he's prescribed for his people. And you're misrepresenting God's holiness because what it does is it cheapens the sacrifice, which means it cheapens the sin that occasioned the sacrifice. So that's, that's what's happening is they're saying, well, sin's not that big a deal. God doesn't really care all that much. Meat is meat, period, end of sentence. Well, it's not the point was not meat. The point was it was costly to sin. And that's the point of the unblemished lamb slain for the salvation of the world. It was a costly sacrifice. It cost God, and it cost Jesus. So he says, when you offer those that are lame or sick, isn't that evil? 
Present that to your governor. Will he accept or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? Try that with your governor. Try that with the Romans that, that are over you. See, what, see how that works out for you. Um, because I, I'm not seen doesn't mean that I'm not real. But you have more fear of the governor than you do of the Lord. And, and I, I probably told this on here before. I had a business partner at one time who was sort of nominally Jewish. I'm not sure that he believed much of anything, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, but his deal, one time I walked into his um, office like in September or October, and he was working on a tax return. And I said, what you doing? He said, I'm working on my tax return. I, I knew he'd already filed his tax return. I'd been with him when he took it. So um, I said, what do you mean you're filing your tax, doing your tax return? He said, well, he said, I've got to take one to the rabbi. The rabbi then determines how much we give for the year. And, and I said, wait a minute, are you reducing your income? He said, yeah. It was the same exact principle. You know, there's no fear of the Lord in that. There's only the, you know, I fear the IRS more than I fear the Lord. And, and so I, I'm willing to lie to the Lord because he's not real is essentially what that statement says. He said, so, and now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to you. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? If you treat me that lightly, then imagine what the people think and how it, how it, it um, represents me to them. And do you think that I'm going to bring favor on you because of junk, because you're failing to honor my name and honor my commandments? He said, I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. So he's saying, I'm going to spread this out among the nations. It's not going to be just you. Because you don't honor my name. My name's not even great among you. And, and so I'm going to spread this out, and, and my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, the food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what's been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I'm a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. In a way, parentheses, in a way that it's not being feared among my people who have despised my name. It's, it, and then what happens is, is that he provides the sacrifice provides Jesus, and he's rejected by his people. So they've lost any sense of holiness. They've lost any sense of what it means to fear the Lord, and they've lost any sense of what it means to be pure. They, they considered him to be a sinner because he did things like healing people on the Sabbath. And so that becomes the problem, is that, that, that they don't care. It, it, that happens in the church. It happens in the church all the time. I mean, like every single week, we make light of God. We, we joke about things that are very serious matters, and we, we don't take Him seriously enough, and the fear of the Lord is never preached. Or if it is, it's, it's, it's preached in this way. It says that, well, that word really has more to do with, with worship than it does fear. No, no. There were plenty good words for worship. Fear means fear, period, end of sentence. He is to be feared because he is great. He is 
awesome, which means we should stand in awe of him. And, and that's the thing that's missing in so many of our churches today. We've flattened everything such that God's no longer imminent or transcendent. He's not imminent in the sense that, that if he were, if God, the holy God, were imminent, if he were among us, then we would react like Isaiah did. Woe is me, I am ruined. But that's not the way we treat it. We treat it as something to be um, f- flattened and, and silliness. And no, no, that's not who God is. We've misrepresented him, and we do it all the time. In the, in the gospel today, Jesus, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. So he's, he's going around that way. We don't know if he's going through Samaria this time around. We know in John 4 that he did. We don't know here in Luke's gospel where he, if he's headed through Samaria or if he's going to go around Samaria. And he entered a village, and he was met there by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices. All this is exactly what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to stand at a distance. I mean, this is, this is the ultimate social distancing, right? Because lepers have to stay away from people who don't have it, and they have to also warn people uh, by visual means or by auditory means that I'm a leper and you need to stay away from me because that way you don't contract their defilement and, and further their sin. And so he's met by these 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, but they're saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. So what, he, what he's done is, is that, that this is exactly what you're supposed to do. When you're healed of leprosy, you're to go to the priest and show yourself to the priest who then has to examine you, make sure that all the signs and marks of the leprosy are gone, and then you offer a sin offering before the Lord. And when you offer that sin offering, then and only then are you declared to be free of leprosy and then allowed back into the community. Now, there's a great deal of teaching about this leprosy thing, and I've done some of it. And, and honestly, the only place that it even applies is in the land. It doesn't apply when they're, um, when they're in the wilderness. It only applies in the land, and it can be contracted by houses and all this other stuff. And so it's a, it's a blemish of the skin, but the way they trace it back is the first person that we know of that, that had leprosy was Miriam. And why did Miriam have leprosy? Well, it's because she spoke against the Lord. He, she spoke against Moses, the leadership in the place. And so that's the, the way they interpret leprosy is that it's basically gossiping, particularly against leaders, but it, it's gossip. And so God doesn't want gossips. And so, you know, it would be great except for it would be personally, you know, difficult, that, that if everybody who gossiped in the church got leprosy, you know, there would be almost nobody to preach most weeks um, because priests are equally responsible for that sort of thing. And so it's, it, it's, that's what they said it was. It was a sign, and that person then had to be ostracized from the community until that leprosy had cleared up um, in order that the community not be damaged in this way, that it, that it maintained its unity and cohesiveness. And so that, that's the reason that a sin offering, it's one, it's one of the very few diseases, if not the only one, that requires a sin offering to make expiation for it. So that's the explanation that they give, is, is that it, it's because of this gossip thing, and it goes, like I said, it goes back to Miriam. And so, and as they went, Jesus said, go to the priests, they're going to Jerusalem. As they went, they were cleansed. 
Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. So we got two things going on here with this guy, right? So they're all headed to Jerusalem to go and make the offering. They show themselves to the priests and make the offering necessary for the expiation of the sin so that they can be restored to community. And on the way, this guy realizes, well, wait a minute, I'm actually not a Jew. I was welcomed with these guys when I was a leper. We were all one happy family of lepers. I mean, not happy, but we were all one family of lepers. But now, if they're going to Jerusalem, I'm not going to Jerusalem to offer a sacrifice because I believe that's an abomination to the Lord. I believe the right place to worship is in Samaria, not in Jerusalem. And so so he comes back to Jesus. He's just confused, right? I mean, he knows who healed him. There's no question about who healed him, but he doesn't know what to do with that healing at this point. And so he goes back to Jesus, and Jesus answered, weren't there 10 cleansed? Why are there, where are the nine? And was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? See, Jesus is not treating him, he's not treating him any differently than the other Jews would. He's calling him a foreigner. He's not considering him to be one of the lost sheep of Israel in that same sense of him being an Israelite. He, he calls him a foreigner. And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. So he's restored at the word of Jesus. He doesn't need to make the sacrifice because his faith in Jesus, who is the ultimate sacrifice, although he hasn't done it yet, but his faith is in Jesus, and therefore he need not make a sacrifice, because Jesus is the sacrifice that atones for all sin. And he has had faith in him, and that faith is rewarded by his healing and by being set free from the demands of the law for lepers. In the James passage, remember yesterday he's complained or talked a fair bit about um, the tongue and, and harnessing the tongue, and, and now here he's going to give some different admonition. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works and the meekness of wisdom. So just be. Don't boast and brag. Don't talk a big game. Play the game. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast and be false to the truth. You know, your heart's going to betray you. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. This goes back to what I was talking about with the leprosy issue. This is that that, that is then, then becomes a breeding ground for all kinds of other things. A lot of gossip is based simply in ambition and jealousy. And so this is what, what James is talking about here. This is, this is continuing to be that thing. That we, if you have those things among you, then there's going to be disorder in every vile practice. Well, been there, done that, seen that. But the wisdom from above is first pure and then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Not by those who create division, but by those who make peace, who bring two sides together. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Isn't it this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you don't have, so you murder. You covet and can't obtain, so you fight and quarrel. It's the world we live in today. That's exactly what it is. Most of the murders committed in, in our society in America today have to do with drugs. Most of the crime in America has to do with drugs. It's, I want what I want when I want it, as, as I heard Red Fox say one time. Um, 
and and that's the truth and and that's we we demand immediate gratification of whatever desire we have and and we if we if we covet something and we can't obtain it then we quarrel and fight what does that look like in America well it looks like the legal system <laughs> um it looks like the the desire to to make other people take on your debts it 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 fills itself out in the desire to say well nobody should have much everybody should have the same it's a desire for equity well, that, the way you get equity is you take it from somebody else. And, and Paul says that's a problem. Now, it's a problem also to hoard wealth when there's inequity and inequality. And when there's genuine need, we need to step up and step in and deal with those issues. So I'm not, I'm not taking the case of one side over the other. I'm trying to avoid taking the case of one side over the other. He says, you don't have because you don't ask, and you ask and you don't receive. Why? Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Lord, I'd like to have a new Range Rover tomorrow. Can you, can you give me that? Well, no. <laughs> it, 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 because it's going to lead us in the wrong direction. To the extent that we're asking for things to fulfill the desire of passion, then what we're doing is we're actually... Um, moving in a, in a direction of sin and allowing sin to control our lives, and God's not going to invest in that. And he says, don't you know, he says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Man, you know, I, I remember hearing John MacArthur make the statement one time about if you're living your best life now, then you expect to spend eternity in hell because you're considering your best life something that can be fulfilled by things of earth. And there's a great point in that. There's a great point in that, and, and we do tend to encourage people to make friendship with the world. He says, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it's to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but give grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee, flee from you. There's a principle for life, right? Resist. There you go. That's the resistance that Christians need to take. We need to resist the devil, and he will flee from us, he says. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And this is the same, the same thing he's saying here is exactly what Malachi was saying to, to the, the people of his time. And that is, is that, that, you know, your fellowship is actually a mess. You're, not, you're profaning the name of God. And, and you're giving him a bad name in the world because of your actions and the way you're conducting yourselves together. So fix that, he says. Cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. Be wretched. Mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Nobody wants to hear that, right? Nobody wants to hear a sermon about sin. Nobody wants to hear a sermon about judgment. It's all about grace, 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 grace. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer should have put the lie to that long ago when he talked about cheap grace, which is the cross without actual guilt and repentance. And no sin is, is light work. And that's the problem, and it's the problem James is addressing, and it's a problem that I'm speaking about right now as well. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Your assemblies are not pleasing to God if it doesn't deal with sin, because that doesn't take his cross seriously. It, it says that sin is such a small matter to God that there's no reason, really, for Jesus to have died on the cross. He says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you.
Don't speak evil against one another, brothers. This is, goes back to the leprosy thing. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge. He who's able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? That's exactly what Jesus was trying to say in, in Matthew 7 when he says, judge not lest you be judged, and then deal first with the log in your own eye, and then help your brother with the speck that is in his eye. Tend your own knitting. Stop worrying about other people's sins. I mean, it's not to say don't deal with sin in your midst. It's to say, you know, you need to, to, to focus on yourself a good bit here. And if everybody did that, and everybody did it under the auspices of God's word, then there wouldn't be any reason for anybody else to judge anybody else. We would see enough in our own lives to keep ourselves busy the rest of our lives.